This, this morning I want to talk about uh, forgiveness a little bit. And um, this is one of those subjects, as, as a pastor, this is just always swirling through the church and the church thinking that, that I find there is, there's, some people immediately embrace forgiveness and uh, walk in that. And, and I'm not even going to talk this morning about forgiving others. That's a total different subject. Uh, the, the simple part of that is if you don't forgive others, there, there, you stop grace from flowing in your life. You stop forgiveness from happening with you. That's, that's literally what the Lord's Prayer says. But that, that's, I mean, that's a complete, uh, another part of this. But I'm just going to focus on us being forgiven, knowing that we're forgiven. What does that mean? Some people embrace that pretty, pretty easily, but, but a lot of Christians struggle with this. My, my experience over almost 30 years now is we, we really do struggle with being forgiven. We, we're so quick to condemn ourselves and to condemn others. It's amazing how, how easy that is for us as human beings, that, that we, we struggle being forgiven. And we have to come up with ways that we earn it, that we work toward it. We do all this kind of stuff. And, and my experience is, is it's, it's, uh, worse for, um, it's worse for people that have been Christians, like they grew up in the church and were Christians for a long time, and then they get away from God, kind of the prodigal mentality. We really struggle with that, that, that when we come back to God, because, because God had done so much for us, I think this is the, the, the thinking, and I, and I struggled with this some too, but because God had done so much, because we knew the truth and all this, and we walked away from it, coming back to God sometimes is, is very difficult for us because we feel like we have to do more. We have to work our way into this. We have to do this. We, we sang two different lines out of, out of the songs we sang this morning. The first one is, the cross has the final word. We know that in our head, but sometimes that is very difficult for us to practically apply in our life, that the cross does that the Jesus down on the cross does something for us, that his blood being poured out does something for us. And, and it, I think there's something about it being so simple that, that causes us as, as a, our human nature, we just reject that. It's got to be more difficult. Right? I've got to be punished for this. I've got to, something's got to, now we don't want real punishment. We don't want like eternal hell. We don't want like uh, our life being over kind of punishment, but we want to be punished enough, Right? And I've even had this where people will come talk to me over the years. Uh, when somebody comes to me and says they want to do something in the church, and I, I want to get involved, I want to do something. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to engage that. How can we do it? Because we're always, we are always needing people to do stuff. There's so many things that, that we could be doing if more people would do things. And somebody comes to me, and then every now and then, something will catch in my spirit a little bit, and I realize that what they're doing is kind of a penance thing. The reason I'm going to do this, specifically if somebody comes to me and says something like, um, I need to teach the sixth grade boys Sunday school class. What? Why? Because there's a very small group of people that find that enjoyable. But some people, it's penance, right? Well, I feel like I should do that because, well, you know, I just, I need to do this for God. Because we've sinned, Right? We sin, we sin, we sin. God forgives, we sin, God forgives. And so, so we've been doing this for so long that, that now we have to kind of earn our way back in. We've got to do extra because we've been around longer and we've done stuff. And there's this mentality that we've got we to work toward this. We've got to do something. And, and this is, this is a, a revelation that God gave me years ago, and it was very liberating for me because I, I grew up in this kind of fellowship, and I, I, um, 
I, I, there was always judgment. There was always, you know, yeah, there was God would forgive you, but the, the, like 90% of the emphasis on the sin and the bad things you're doing and your horrible per- people and all this, but, but the Lord will forgive you. But you're horrible people and you got, you know, and there was this, this judgment mentality all the time, all the time, all the time. I, I've mentioned this before, but I remember as a, as a nine-year-old kid laying in bed and praying to God, and I did this all the time, but praying to God, God, if you come back tonight, please don't send me to hell. Well, that's not a healthy, that's not a healthy relational Christian walk. That's not love for Jesus. That's not wanting to be close to him. That's, Lord, please don't punish me. You know, as, as a nine-year-old, horrible world heathen, please don't send me to hell. And, and, and I, I, I really thought this was about because it was the things I was doing and how I'd been doing the same things, you know, same sins kind of thing over and over. And we struggle with that. Another line that we sang this morning is the Holy Spirit has robbed the grave. So here's the question I would ask. Is that the Holy Spirit has robbed just the tomb Jesus was in, just Jesus' grave? Because the, the Scripture says the, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens my physicalness, empowers my life. So, so it, is, is it just the grave of Jesus, or is it the graves that we are in before we get saved, or the graves that we continue to jump back in after we're saved? Jesus is the, the resurrection and the life. If we're following him, then we should be thinking resurrection mentality, and we should be walking in life. But it's so difficult for us to do that sometimes. We stay, we stay trapped in our own, our own guilt and our own condemnation and our own existence with that. As Christians, we, we should have joy and peace. Scripture tells us this. It's, it's a, a gift for every one of us. The, the Holy Spirit wants to do this. So why do we struggle with that? Why, why do some Christians have joy and some don't? It's God's given the opportunity for us to have that. But, but I, I know personally, and I see this happen so many times, we, we push against that. We struggle with letting Jesus forgive us. We struggle with letting Jesus bring joy into our life. And, and we, we choose to not have joy. He says he will bring peace that goes beyond naturalness. And it, and it guards our hearts and our minds. But we choose to not walk in that peace. Why do some Christians have peace and some not? And, and by the way, I've heard some people explain it's because their life is so much worse than everybody else's. That's not True. It's just not true. <clears throat> I, I was thinking about this. Now, this is Allison's third baby, so this doesn't apply to her. She's been, she's been through this. She knows this is not true. But I love to watch first-time mothers get pregnant. First time ever. This is the worst pregnancy of any woman on the planet. No other woman's dealt with this level of horribleness. Anybody ever heard or experienced that or seen? Yeah, you're scared too. This is the reality. Jesus wants to bring us joy, and our life's not worse than everybody else's. He wants to bring us peace. Our life's not worse than everybody else's. We've got to choose that. We've got to embrace that. As Christians, grace should flow through us. Forgiveness should be something that we're walking in, that people recognize it and they see it. Not perfection, not a life that is completely separate from everything else and walking in perfection, because that's not a reality. But when you do make mistakes, when you do stumble, when you do become very much about you or whatever, that, that knowing that Jesus can forgive you. 
and walking in that forgiveness. So I want, I want to read just a, a couple of verses here to, to jump into this, um, and then we'll get to the main body of this in a second. But Psalms 38, verse 4, it says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. That, that seems to be the thinking of many Christians. That's, and, and it's not that, well, it's because I'm guilty, and, and the, it's because we stop right there. We don't go to the next part where the Lord could forgive us. The, the next sentence, my wounds fester and stink. I love that language. I love how the Lord is describing something there that we get. We can get that one pretty easy. And, and he's not talking about um, physical wounds, although I, I think he could be here. Because of his sins, he's been wounded physically. Um, and there's some in the scripture that let us know that's included. But you understand he's really talking spiritually bigger than anything. Because of my foolish sins, I cause myself problems. So here's the question. Do you stay there? As some of us, we stay right there our entire life. My guilt overwhelms me. But you don't have to be guilty. You can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. That's why God sends Jesus Christ to forgive us. Not to make some kind of crazy high standard. See, this is the way that I thought about it growing up. I thought Jesus was walking around with this big clipboard of all the sins that I had done. And, and this big old list of sins. And then if, if, I, if I pray really hard and I go to church a lot and, and I give money in the offering and, and I do a lot of good things and I teach the sixth, boy, sixth grade boys Sunday school class and I do all this stuff, I do all this stuff, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus will say, okay, I'll forgive you of that first one. And he crosses a line through it, but it stays there. He, we can still see it. God can see it, I can see it, it's still there. But, but he crossed the line through it, so at least it's kind of mostly forgiven. And that, that's how we think sometimes. Instead of what Jesus says, all through his word, that he says that he, that he casts the sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. He doesn't remember our sin. We do. And sometimes we even have to walk through the responsibility of what we've done, the responsibility for our actions, but Jesus forgives us completely and erases it. This is something I heard this probably 15 to 20 years ago, and it has stuck with me, that this, this helped me as much as anything else. You, you give your heart to Jesus Christ. You ask him to forgive you of everything you've ever done, and he erases it all. He forgives you for everything. And, and I believe that less people have a problem with that first forgiveness uh, than do the other forgivenesses as we go later on. Is the Lord going to continue to forgive you? Yes, you, have to re you still have to repent. I, I, I don't believe in, in unconditional eternal security. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. In other words, the condition of your heart determines your relationship with Jesus, not whether you've prayed a prayer once. It's a condition of your heart. So he forgives you, but then what happens is over time, we pile it back up. And we, we go back and Jesus is saying, no, I've forgiven you. So, so this is the way that I heard this said. You, you're forgiven. Walk with Jesus, and then you make a mistake. And it's something you had done before you were saved. Go back to, to that mentality or that attitude or that lifestyle or something. Then you go to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, um, this is what I've done. Please forgive me. And he says, because you've never done that, I'm going to forgive you. And you're thinking, well, I, I had done that. I've done that before. Okay, but does he really erase it and, and forget it and completely disappear it? Or does he not? Somewhere we have to answer that for ourselves. Scripture says he, he pushes it far away and forgets it. 
But we struggle with that as humans because we don't forget. So then he forgives us. Come to him again. A few months, I don't know. Done the same thing. We come back, Jesus, I did this. thing, And Jesus says, because you've never done that before, I'll forgive you. And according to Scripture, we're supposed to do that for other people 490 times. I said that one time, and, and somebody said, you just made that number up? Where did you get 490? From the Bible? 70 times 7? Some of you are like, it's not 490. Yeah, it is. So, And that's us. As physical human beings, we're supposed to forgive other people for the same thing, not just forgive them generally, but for the same thing 490 times. And we're limited humans. How much more does the Lord forgive us? Here's the answer to how often the Lord forgives us. He forgives us once. Every time we repent. There's not 490 because he's forgotten it. There's not a 490 for the Lord. But man, we struggle with believing that. We struggle with embracing that. My guilt overwhelms me. But it doesn't have to. Psalms 86. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive. So ready to forgive. Is that true? I'm saying in your thinking, not Scripture. Scripture, we know it's true. He's so ready to forgive, but do we think that he's ready to forgive? Or do we think that he's holding it against us? You realize this is the reason for the story of the prodigal son in Scripture, is the group that struggles the most with forgiveness is the group that has been forgiven before. It's not usually the person that's never been forgiven. That, <clears throat> that moment of, of exhilaration, you can feel that weight taken off. I've heard people say that in so many different ways, describe that. I felt this weight taken off my chest. I felt like an elephant was sitting on me, and I got forgiven, and, and it was just gone. I felt like I was carrying this big pack on my back, and the Lord forgave me. It was gone. I've heard that over and over in many different ways over the years from new Christians. But I don't hear that very often from older Christians because we've learned to pick some of that pack back up, and, and shift the load just right and carry it. And, and, we, and we're good at that. Instead so of saying he is, he is ready to forgive, he, he sent Jesus to do this. Why, why, would, why would he not? This, this is another breakthrough years ago. I, I, I struggled with being forgiven, and it's first because I, I had a problem forgiving me, and then I had a problem for the Lord forgiving me, and I had a problem forgiving others. Just forgiveness in a general sense was a major struggle for me. Just being washed clean, I struggled with that. And, and again, it's because I'd grown up in this. I'd got saved, grown up in this, and then I got away from God for a long time. And even the first two or three years I was <clears throat> a youth pastor, I struggled with being forgiven. I would preach and teach it to other people, teenagers, and, but I struggled with it myself because well, these, these kids haven't been forgiven yet, but Lord, I've so abused you over the years. I've so misused your word and your grace and all this. But that's, that's why it's called grace. God's giving us this gift because he loves us, not because of something we have or haven't done or ever have, will or not do. Put, put that into things that make sense there. I didn't. So ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help, to all who ask for help. And, and, and so I, I struggled with this. I struggled with this idea 
that the Lord forgive, that he could forgive me. So I built this paradigm in my mind. This is what the Bible says about forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross, accept it by faith, and you can be forgiven. All your sins washed away. That's what Scripture says. But then I would come up with this other criteria, this paradigm of, of what I thought forgiveness was or should be for me. And then sometimes uh, uh, transfer that to other people, right? We do that too. So this is my criteria. And it dawned on me one day, my criteria that I have built for salvation will never, ever, ever forgive me. doesn't matter how good I make it. doesn't matter how strong I make it. And I had actually come up with things that was, was outside the scope of what God had designed. I had, had a, I had a more difficult criteria than the, than the creator of the universe. But my, my paradigm will never save me, never forgive me, ever. But Jesus' paradigm will always forgive me. That's where I had to realize I've got to get rid of my thought process here, and I've got to embrace the forgiveness of the Lord. And this, this is something that I've also seen in, in the uh, condemning kind of mentality. We condemn ourselves, we condemn others. One of the things that I have found over years is <clears throat> that oftentimes the people that are struggling with forgiveness the most, and I'm saying people that have been Christians for a while, uh, stug- struggle with forgiveness the most, the way they deal with this is they take this out on other people. In other words, somebody, uh, somebody comes into the church and, and they get saved, brand new Christian. And they still they, they haven't figured all the things out right and yet. And, and we've had this. We, we've had this in so many different ways over the years. Um, we've, had, we've had people that, <clears throat> that have got saved that were, um, that were um, <clears throat> like, how do I say it in a nice way, like uh, nightclub dancers. And they don't know, they, they put on their best outfit to come to church. They don't know, all of, the, all of the wives in the room are like, don't look at her. Don't do. They're just trying to serve Jesus. They're just doing the best they can to serve Jesus. And it's amazing, and I've seen this in so many different ways over the years. It's amazing that some of the older Christians will be critical of younger Christians. And I believe one of the main reasons is because They've forgotten first what it means to be forgiven, and they've struggled with the forgiveness of the Lord, one or both of those. And so they don't want somebody that's freshly um, saved, forgiven, and they're experiencing it, and they're excited about it. They don't want them to have fun. And so they begin to critique the little things that the Holy Spirit hadn't worked on them yet with, haven't figured that stuff out yet. I, one, of, one of the things I've noticed over the year, is, and this one is, this one is very... Um, hypocritical because people will critique brand new Christians about using cuss words. Be mean, not, not help them, not say, hey, you should think about it. And it's amazing to me how many Christians I hear regularly cuss. That drives me crazy. And because, well, I'm quoting somebody else. Did it come out of your mouth? Then it's a cuss word out of your mouth. Well, I'm just, I'm just quoting who, Satan? You're just quoting Satan? All right, I'm, I'm digressing. But the, the reality of this is we, we can condemn other people so quickly. And I believe part of the reason is because we've lost our joy. We don't have the peace of the Lord anymore because we're struggling with forgiveness. We're str- and we can't stand it when somebody else finds this amazing gift of forgiveness because it convicts us. And we remember when. Because we've got to... 
we got to know that the Lord is ready. He's waiting to forgive people. Psalms 103, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. Man, we can struggle with that one. Here's the second half. This is a whole sermon series by itself. And he heals all my diseases. I I sat in seminary one time in a class, and two um, veteran missionaries were standing there discussing the mission field um, somewhere else around the, on the other side of the planet, and I'm just sitting there listening, and I'm, well, I'm enjoying this conversation. They said something about, um, you know, preaching gospel. And I said, yeah, and then seeing people get healed. You know, I just kind of interjected where I wasn't asked to interject. And I said something about, yeah, and people getting healed and set free and demons cast out and all this other kind of stuff. And both these missionaries looked at me and said, we don't want to, we don't want to muddy the waters by bringing healing into the conversation. I'm like, What? Jesus made it part of the conversation. He said, go preach the gospel, and this will happen. These signs will follow. What are they signs of? The power of God over humanity and over the spiritual forces. Your words alone do not forgive people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that forgives people. It's not just doing something in your neighborhood that sets people free. It's not just doing nice little projects that changes people's lives. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that saves a soul and forgives sins and chases out Satan and all the junk that Satan's trying to do and completely washes clean. That's what saves people. We, 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 he says, this is one of the benefits of serving God. He forgives all your sins. For some reason, we qualify that and say, well, yeah, but some sins, no, and all this. And we can do that with other people, too. We qualify this stuff, and we put people into categories. And there can be entire people groups that we don't think will get saved or maybe even deserve to get saved. This is one of the things that, obviously, I didn't experience this. This isn't my generation. But um, my, my um, grandparents used to talk about this after the World War II that a lot of people in America really struggled with Germans getting saved. Now, for me today, I'm far enough away from Nazism and, and, um, and the, 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 the extermination camps and stuff like that, that while I do know it's horrendous, at least the German people in my mind are not that group, right? But I've seen the exact same thing today with Muslims. And since 9-11, it's Muslims. Or can they even get saved? Well, yes, Jesus died for everybody. He forgives all sins, just like he does in my life, anybody else's life around the planet. In fact, Nur and I were talking about this this week. We had breakfast together, and he was talking about um, uh, different prejudices and things he's watching on the news and stuff like that. And, and he and I were saying the same thing. This subject of, of, um, of uh, uh, pe- prejudice and bigotry and racism, all this, I'm getting tired of this old beat-up subject that, that society and CNN and everybody is forcing on us. It's stupid. It's, it's just stupid. And Nurse said to me, he said, I'm Indian. I have prejudices against other people. I said, right, that's called being a human. Now, what those prejudices are are different for every single human being. But as people, we all look at other people differently. It doesn't make it right. Obviously, it's not right. But, but like Nurse said, he said, for years, I just assumed if you were a doctor, you, the better doctors were Indians. How many of you are like, I knew it. I knew that was true. And then he said to me, 
He said, and we all know that Chinese people are better with computers. I'm like, I knew that also. I need to write, I need to take notes. Our brains do that stuff. It doesn't make it right, but it doesn't make you a racist. It's just different. It's just different. It's amazing how we can then take that same mentality, and, and, and Satan will manipulate this stuff and assume that some people can't get saved. I talked about this before when I spent time in China. They hate the Japanese over there. And it's difficult for them to listen to the gospel from a Japanese person. You're going to talk to me about grace and forgiveness? You understand that the Japanese killed more Chinese than the Germans killed Jews during World War II. Right? Now, have a Japanese witness. I was on a mission trip with a Japanese man to China. Prejudices. But to say that we're all these evil races, come on. If you come across a feeling like that, stop it and ask Jesus to forgive you. Jesus wants to forgive everybody. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. I'll give you one that may get under your skin a little bit. <laughs> okay, that was fun. But um, you realize that the that uh, Iranians, Iraqis, Saudi Arabians, do you realize bloodline, they're closer to the Jewish people than we are? So if we were going to rate this, Jesus forgives uh, Middle Easterners quicker than he forgives Americans. Like, really? No, not really. No, he, he wants to forgive everybody. We're the ones who struggle with this sometimes. And here's our worst enemy when it comes to this. We look in the mirror and we think he can't forgive us because I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And God is saying, what else do I have to do? In fact, Linda and I talked about this this week. What else does God have to do to convince us he loves us, to convince us he's got a plan for us, to convince us that he wants relationship with us? What else does God have to do? He already sent his son. Maybe write another Bible? Send another son? Write our name in the sky? What else does he have to do to convince us He's done all of this for us. He's done all of this for your next door neighbor. He's done all of this for your coworker. He's done all of this. Psalm 63, though we are overwhelmed by our sins, you forgive them all. We're overwhelmed, but you forgive. Let's go to Genesis chapter 50. This is, um, this is a story of Joseph. I'm, we're not going to go over the whole story. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. They said he was dead, lied to their dad, all that stuff. Okay, Joseph rises to second in command of Egypt. His brothers come up. He tells his brothers. He forgives them. You know, they go back and they get their father, do all this kind of stuff. And he's told them what, what uh, you meant for evil, God meant for good. This whole thing, right? And he kept telling them, I'm not, I'm not upset at you. I forgive you. He hugged them. He cried, all this other kind of stuff. All right. After burying Jacob, their father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Why? Because the brothers had never believed that Joseph had forgiven them. And you understand in the Old Testament, Joseph is the, is the precursor to Jesus Christ. Even this name, Joseph in Hebrew, is the same name that Jesus would have been called. Okay? So, so he is the picture of Jesus. And the brothers never could believe that he had forgiven them. He had told them he had done all this stuff. He had blessed them. He put them, he put them in, the, uh, in the fertile valley beside Egypt, all this other stuff. 
And they said, now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. Why do you think that? He told you he wasn't going to. Because they're struggling with forgiveness. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say this to you. You know what that's called? A lie. That's what that's called. Jacob didn't leave this message with the brothers. Jacob didn't like, okay, now guys, huddle around. I'm about to die. Um, you tell Joseph, don't be mean to you. You really think that happened? See, Jacob had forgiven the brothers, his sons. Joseph had forgiven the brothers, but the brothers couldn't believe it. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't embrace it. So now, and this is always what happens, they begin to manipulate. This is what I was talking about earlier, that, that, that Christians that are struggling with being forgiven do not like it when others are, and they will, they will manipulate, they will attack, they will do things. That's where legalism comes in also, by the way. So dad told us to tell you this. Please forgive your brothers. And they didn't even do it themselves. They sent messengers. Man, these guys are, I've never been impressed with these guys from day one. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, we're all in this together, we're on the same team, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Now here's the thing that I've always thought. When we do not let Jesus Christ forgive us, how do you think that makes him feel? He did everything. He died on the cross for us. He's done everything. How do you think he feels when we struggle accepting it? When we think we have to do something. think we have to figure it out. We have to work harder. We have to go to church more. I, I saw this a lot um, two churches ago. This is 25 years ago when we were pastoring. And, and uh, we, we saw a lot of um, uh, Catholics start coming in and, and getting saved. And for the first time in their life, they realized that you can have a relationship with Jesus, not just go to a church about Jesus. And many of, these, many of these people started getting saved. And it was amazing how they would talk about they enjoyed going to church now instead of having to go to church. Because as a Catholic, you have to go to church. That's, your, that's, your, uh, that's how you get forgiven. Go to church and the priest forgives you. And we just love going to church now. And then, this is the same church where some people have been saving like 20 years and like, Oh, you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> you're thinking, well, why don't you start liking it? I don't know. So that one was free right there. <laughs> Joseph received the message. He broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look where your slaves. And Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. My God, that I can punish you. Four things here. First, forgiveness is a gift that costs everything. The, the way we always say it is it's a free gift. It costs nothing. Really? Because it cost Jesus' life. It cost his blood to be poured out. And then, it, what does it cost us? Oh, it's nothing. It costs us nothing. It's a free gift. That's a dangerous place that our church has come to in America when we think that, that forgiveness is just a prayer that we can pray. It's a little free gift. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any gravity in our life. No, forgiveness will cost you everything, too. Because it demands you. It demands your heart. It demands your life. It demands your existence. Now, can you do anything to get to it? Can you do anything to, to make it happen? No. It truly is something that Jesus provides for us. 
Are there strings attached? Yes. There's strings straight to your soul, straight to your heart forever. That's why, to me, it's the most valuable gift that will ever be given. It's the most costly gift that will ever be given. But the amazing thing is, is Jesus has already done, he's already provided, and all you have to do is just ask him to forgive you, and he does it. That's, that's, the, that's the amazing, I really, I really don't understand that. I've said this before, I don't understand how his blood being poured out 2,000 years ago out of a physical body saves me 2,000 years later. I don't understand that, but I do embrace it by faith. I do accept it in faith. And I do try to walk in it in faith. But just the, the logistics, I don't get it. It doesn't, doesn't compute. I think that's kind of the coolness, too. Second thing, forgiveness came from the heart of God. It truly is limitless. God's heart's way bigger than us, way bigger than we can imagine. So when he says he's going to forgive us, it's, at, it's from his perspective, not our perspective. Think about this also. He can forgive 7 billion people at one time. And I've had conversations with people like, well, you don't know what I did last week. Really? That's the one God's stumbling over? What you did last week? Well, it was bad. Seven billion forgivenesses happening all the time. And he's struggling with yours? Because it's, don't do that to the Lord and don't do it to yourself. Let him forgive you. It's, it's unlimitedness straight from his heart. And here's the third part is it's straight to us, his children. It's to his kids. It's not to somebody he doesn't know or a stranger. He's forgiving his kids. That, that's, if, if there was limitations, it's easier for him to forgive his kids. Who are his kids? Every human born. Every human. That's his kids, and he wants to forgive them. The fourth thing is Satan will fight forgiveness in you and from you. He will, he will try to make you he will try to convince you, this is 2 Corinthians 10 says, that he will try to convince you in any way possible that God can't or won't forgive you. And I know that because I struggled with that for years. God won't forgive me because I, I was so close to him as a kid, an early teenager, and I got so far away from him later. Well, he can't forgive me now because I knew and I still did. But remember, because you've never done this before, he's going to forgive you over, over, whatever. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You and me, we're sinners. We're saved by grace, but we're sinners. Paul, in the last of his life, said, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. And I've literally thought many times over the years, oh, yeah, well, I'm worse. Like, we're, like me and Paul are going to have an argument. Oh, yeah, well, I'm worse. No, I'm worse. Oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. That's where it goes wrong. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, when he forgives you, it's because you're a sinner. That doesn't change later. You know when he forgives you later? It's because you're a sinner. When he forgives you later, it's because you're a sinner. That God showed his great love to us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We don't have a problem sometimes with God covering us with the blood of Jesus, but then we struggle with, but he also delivers us from condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved 
through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Why don't you guys stand with me? And I'd like our prayer partners to come up front. And there'll be some back there too, I think. And um, <clears throat> here's what I would like to strongly suggest. And, and I, wanna, I, wanna think, I want you to think about this mentally too so you can process this just a little bit. I do believe that one of the reasons, we don't, we don't always do this, we don't always have people come down front and be prayed for or whatever, but I think one of the things that happens when, when you have somebody, when you step out of your seat and you have somebody pray for you, I think there's a faith thing that the walls begin to break when you take the first step. It's not like, it's not like you, you got to get all the way down here and somebody pray for you before God begins to do something. A lot of times it's just taking that first step that you're telling Satan, you're not going to keep messing with me. You're not going to own my heart and my mind here. I'm forgiven. Sometimes that step is, is the biggest part of the faith journey. So I'm going to pray for us, and then, and then you'll be dismissed, but then I would like to encourage you to, uh, if you're struggling with forgiveness, if you're struggling being forgiven, and here's part of the thing. If you think you've got to get saved every week, you need to address this. Forgiveness. Let him forgive you. Let him, let him wash you. So take the opportunity to find one of our prayers partners up here and at the back and just have him pray with you. Just have him pray with you. And trust and believe God can do this in your life. He can forgive you. Probably already has. You just need to embrace it. You need to think it through. All right? Let me pray for us. God, we, we humble ourselves before you that you're the king. That Jesus, your blood washes over us. Your blood covers our mind, our thinking, our feelings, our heart. Your blood covers everything about us. And Holy Spirit, that you wash us clean. Lord, we embrace that by faith. We ask you, wash us clean. Forgive us of anything we've ever done. Lord, and just, just erase the slate of sin out of our life. Lord, now the challenge for, for many different people in this room is knowing that we're saved, knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're clean, knowing that we're washed. So Jesus, help us. Wherever we are on, that, on, that, on those items, Lord, help us to know we're forgiven. In the name of Jesus. God, don't let anybody walk out of here struggling with being forgiven. Jesus, we pray. Satan, you are defeated. You have lost this battle. You have lost this battle. I am forgiven in the name of Jesus. You've lost the battle. Jesus. So I want to encourage you. Grab a prayer card. Grab a book. Before you leave, find one of our prayer partners. Have them pray with you. If you're struggling with forgiveness, specifically, have them pray with you and trust that God can take care of that. Have a great rest of your day.